All right, man, these are the September Blu-ray and 4K releases. Let me have a sip of this beverage and we'll get right into it. You can hear the squeaking of the chair. That ain't going away anytime soon, unless I get a new chair. All right, man, so starting off in the United States, on September 5th from Criterion is an upgrade of Rob Reiner's The Princess Bride from 1987. Um, like I've mentioned before, when it comes to Criterion upgrading their 4Ks, is that if you are planning on upgrading, to just be aware of whether or not it's an actual new restoration or if it's just an upconversion. Um, I've mentioned before, there were some titles that, unbeknownst to me, were not full-on restorations. They were just upconverted from the previous sourced Blu-ray. Um, I know, like, Night of the Living Dead had that uh, case and others they either take from elsewhere or I, I don't know which ones they're actually doing full restorations on so just be wary of that I mean the way I look at it too man is that if you don't already have some of these on on uh, their their blu-rays and you want to get them there's really no no harm done there I more about if you uh, already own them and feel the need to upgrade or not because I don't know if they have the same features as they do on the standard release or not I, I'm not sure um, coming from Paramount Pictures uh, their line of titles they've been doing and putting out some good-looking 4ks they have uh, 4k coming of sleep Sleepy Hollow, <clears throat> Sleepy Hollow, Tim Burns film from 1999. It has a regular 4K as well as a Steelbook, um, which I don't doesn't doesn't specify whether or not it's a Best Buy exclusive. But I know they've been doing a lot of those the past couple of years or so. Uh, this is an interesting film. It's, you know, I think Tim Burton in the 90s was doing a lot of really cool, interesting work um, where, you know, he does have his signature gothic kind of uh, exteriors and character kind of mannerisms, but at the same time, he was doing just interesting, cool other work. I mean, going from, like, Edward Scissorhands to Ed Wood, and then this, and, you know, Mars Attacks, just different kinds of films, but still uh, his kind of style. Uh, you know, Christina Ricci of this era is very interesting. This is just the year after Buffalo 66, um, and she also did um, The Opposite Sex that year, in 98 and she did uh, one more film I'm blanking on the name of uh, unless I'm getting something mixed up but interesting film uh, coming from Shell Factory on 4K this is another upgrade of theirs Night of the Comet from 1984 um, I think I last saw this film man back in middle school I think I mean this is I'm pushing like 10 15 years since I've seen this film man uh, I remember liking it I just could not tell you much about it I know this is a big cold film and I remember bits and pieces there a post-apocalyptic film these two girls I think two teenage girls uh, and uh I remember liking it, but yeah, I could not tell you uh, uh, much about it uh, from recent memory. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, coming from Arrow Video in from 1970 is Borsellino starring um, Jean-Paul Belmondo and Alain Delon. Uh, this is actually uh, directed by uh, uh, Jacques Perret, who this was his follow-up film to La Piscine from 1969 and La Piscine is, is a terrific film um, that got has a semi-remake from 2003 a movie called Swimming Pool and I say semi-remake because it's really not I mean it has some of the same I'm sorry Jacques Duray did I say Jacques Perret how embarrassing I just realized that now yeah Jacques Duray I'm sorry but yeah Swimming Pool is an interesting film as well but it's, it's sort of a remake and it's got Charlotte Rampling in it and it's, it's, it's an interesting film too but um, and I, like I said before big fan of uh, La Piscine uh, Borsalino is interesting it's not you know I wasn't totally in love with it or anything like that I think ultimately this kind of uh, period piece gangster film is not really for me I found myself not totally engaged with the film but I mean it is good you know good performances throughout it's great to see Belmondo and Dillon uh, uh, you know together I think they did another film later on that I'm blanking on the name of um, 
they did I think one or two other films together. Um, but if yeah, if you think you if you think you'd be interested in this, then then go for it. Um, I mean, it's a it's a, a comedy kind of drama period piece gangster film. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it wasn't uh, you know I didn't love it or anything like that, but I think it is worth watching. It is interesting to see him go from a smaller, uh, uh, smaller ish kind of film like Lapicine which is, uh, you know, mostly just kind of like one location, mostly just a character-driven film. Uh, then you jump the next year to this big kind of, uh, uh, you know, period piece style, these big great kind of costumes and stuff. I will say that when uh, Delon and um, uh, uh, Paul Belmondo, uh, Belmondo, I'm sorry, Jean-Paul Belmondo, uh, their first interaction, they're, they're fighting over grill. It's actually a great sequence. It really takes its time. They're really kind of throwing punches. And uh, that, that's one of the better sequences of the film. Um, on this day as well, film I talked about a little while ago, the new Paul Schrader written and directed film, Master Gardener. I talked about this more in depth on uh, one of the recent-ish Cozy Corner episodes. Uh, let me see which one that was, in case you're interested in more of a discussion. Um, that was on episode number 60, so you can go ahead and watch that, if or listen to that if you're interested in this. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting film, man. It's, I, I, like I said in that discussion, is that I, you know, I think... Uh, I kind of have the same feelings about this that I do with the card counter where they both have uh, really great things in them, but I don't think either are a great film. But even still, I think Paul Schrader is just such an interesting uh, writer-director. I was recently listening to his commentary on Taxi Driver that he recorded back in 2007 and the way he goes about writing characters and how he, uh, you know, how the important relationship between a writer and director is so fascinating because I think he's a great director as well. You know, I, I find a lot of his work, even if I don't love the film or anything like that, uh, interesting nonetheless. I, he has yet to make a film that I've seen that... I thought was outright terrible or something like that. You know, I haven't seen all of his work. There's maybe a couple of films of his I haven't seen, but, you know, I think Blue Collar is just a brilliant film. That's just one of my favorite films. And uh, anytime he had done a collaboration with Scorsese, you know, I've, it's been consistently great. Um, apparently we are getting a Blu-ray bringing out the dead at some point. I, I heard that got announced a little while ago, but I've yet to hear an official announcement. So, but apparently that is coming. So would love to, uh, uh, see that would be a great, be a great criterion film. That's a very, um, underappreciated film in Scorsese's and Paul Schrader's filmography. Coming from Kino Lorber from 1969 is a film that I was surprised I actually kind of liked as much as I did. This is the first time from 1969 with uh, Jacqueline Bissett and, uh, you know, reading up on this film, just hearing, you know, this was a pretty negatively reviewed film. Uh, you know, this made Roger Ebert's uh, worst of the year list. And, you know, I think, I mean, this film stars Jacqueline Bissett, uh, Western, uh, who I have no idea if this is true or not, but I think he passed up the role or he was considered for the role of Dustin Hoffman's character in The Graduate. I don't know if he passed it up or they ultimately just went with him in general, but, um, I mean, he looks, you know, as I'm watching this film with that knowledge, I think he would would have done a great job in this because he is very likable in this film. And, you know, this is a late 60s, um, I would say sex comedy, but it's really also, I mean, like a sex comedy drama in a way. You have these three kids who are trying to lose their virginity and... Um, they uh, through some circumstances they meet Jacqueline Bassett who they think is a prostitute and uh, you know I would say the first half of this film is it's not as um, egregious as one would see a sex comedy from this era it's, it's, it's not a lot of dumb jokes I mean the, 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 the humor doesn't really hit they spend a lot of time talking about Niagara Falls and how great it is I mean if you can make a drinking game out of how much they talk about Niagara Falls man it, it's wild as hell but I think really where the film shines is probably in like probably the last 20 minutes or so there's a really great long sequence between the three boys and Jacqueline Bassett between her coming to this realization of what they who they think she is and, and the kind of push and pull of that you know you, I don't want to give it all away but I think you know, if you're watching this film at the time, then yeah, it's probably getting a lot of not so great, uh, you know, sex comedies. You get like, you know, when when studios were being were, were more open to um, 
you know, a lot of the censorship, a lot of the censorship uh, codes and being able to do a little bit more in films. But I think, uh, you know, compared to a film like, I don't know, like Sex and the Single Girl with Natalie Wood, which I just find is just completely uninteresting and it's just, uh, it's only worth watching for contextual sake. It's just a, it's just a really not very good film. And I don't mean to, I don't like to throw films under the bus or anything like that, but I'm saying in comparison. So I think a film like this, um, or even something like Three in the Attic, which I think uh, has some really good character moments in it. I think that does kind of drop the ball on the ending, um, where I think this film is a bit more interesting than that. But uh, honestly, I think that this is an interesting film worth watching. I can't promise that you're going to think it's like a great film or anything like that. It'd be a ridiculous kind of a promise to make. But um, compared to a lot of the other sex comedies around that time in the late 60s, the mid-70s, even before a lot of the 80s stuff, I think that this actually has a surprising amount of really solid character writing in this. Um, so yeah, man, I, I thought it was cool. That's it on that day. So jumping over to the United Kingdom, on now I, I skipped because uh, I, I usually like to start off in, in order but I skipped September 4th um, because there wasn't really a whole lot that I wanted to talk about there I mean Jaws and the Shawshank Redemption were both coming to 4k but I didn't want to spend too much time on those um, because you know I, I, ultimately I think that a lot has been said about both those films that it, it goes really without saying I don't want to just you know drag on and on but um, I mean I will say those are coming to 4k from the film vault and also on that day as well the new Quentin Depew film Smoking Causes Coughing which I'm not the biggest fan of Quentin Depew. His, his humor is not really for me, but I know a lot of people are a fan of his work, and this was one that um, had gotten a good bit of attention. This is a shorter film, about 70 or so minutes. Um, this is a... Uh, uh, difficult to, to pin down. It's a superhero film, but then it also goes in these long kind of stories. Uh, it's, I mean, if you, if you missed it uh, over here, then that is available from uh, Picture House Entertainment. But on September 11th, uh, the It Follows and Crimes of the Future 4Ks from Second Sight uh, were delayed to that day. Uh, Gregory's Girl on 4K is coming from the BFI. This has a standard Blu-ray in the UK that came out last month. Um, and I've talked about this film a little bit. I think this is a good film. I, I watched this unbeknownst that it was coming to Blu-ray. Um, so I, I truthfully don't remember a whole lot about it. Or else I would have probably taken notes or something. But uh, it, interesting film. Um, Christopher Nolan's uh, debut film Following is coming from Black Label uh, 030. This, is, this has a criterion in the States. Uh, very interesting film. This is, a, I mean, a very low-budgeted film. This is a film they talk about a little bit in the Peter Bisklin book um, that I always blank on the name of uh, about the rise of Sundance. Um, I'm not even going to bother looking it up because I do it every time and I never remember the name of it. But this is a good film. I actually like it quite a bit. Zombie Holocaust is coming to 4K from 88 Films, a.k.a. Dr. Butcher, MD. Uh, and this also just got announced coming from Severin uh, in 4K uh, later this year, I believe, along with Umberto um, Lenti's Eaten Alive, Mountain of the Cannibal God, and one more I'm blanking on the name of, so I do apologize about that. But also before, uh, the Sleepy Hollow 4Ks are coming as well. Enter the Dragon 4K is getting a steelbook uh, over there from Warner Brothers. So titles that have already come to uh, America. A uh, recent uh, newerish film that I want to give a little bit of attention to uh, from Mubi is Return to Soul. Uh, this film I saw earlier this year, but I guess it's counted as 2022. But I would, I really, I really like this film. This kind of spans over a long period of time. This girl who she's. French and Korean and sort of the uh, different circumstances that she gets herself into, kind of this underworld of uh, of uh, life over there. It's a very interesting film that kind of came and went, but I imagine that um, this might get a little bit of attention since movie are releasing it over there. I don't remember 
if they released it over here as well, at least from them, because I saw it theatrically this year, but I don't remember who were the ones who actually released it. But either way, coming back into the United States on September 12th, the last house on the left 4K from Arrow Video got delayed. This was the remake from 2009 I talked a little bit about on the last episode. And another 4K upgrade coming from Criterion. Uh, this was one of my favorite films from 1971, Nicholas Rogue's Walkabout. What's up here? We can see where we are from the top. Well, where are we now? We've just got to climb that one. But you we said... Where we are. We're lost, aren't we? No, of course not. You should try and help me. I'm tired too. Yeah, this is just a brilliant film. This is one of my favorite films. I'm a big Nicholas Rogue fan. You know, Performance and Don't Look Now, The Man of the Earth, just all terrific films. Um, and Walkabout is definitely my favorite of his work. This film stars uh, Jenny Agutter, David Gupilli, and uh, actually his son, Luke Rogue. And uh, this starts off a, a bit more surreal, a bit more avant-garde, kind of like some, kind of like uh, some of the sequences in Don't Look Now that that kind of uh, uh, dance with this surreal kind of nature. But the start, film starts out with this father driving his daughter uh, Jenny Agutter and his and uh, his son Luke Rogue out to the middle of the desert to go to kill them. But when he fails, he ends up killing himself. And then these two kids are on their own in the Australian outback. And uh, David Gupilli, who you've seen enough Australian films, he always pops up in them. He's a terrific actor. Just passed away not too long ago um and a film i haven't talked about on the show but a really great really wild film that he's in that i like a lot uh mad dog morgan with uh dennis hopper but there are these great great long sequences with uh out in the dialogue you're just going through the australian outback you know you're seeing the beautiful imagery uh, a lot of the camera work in this film is great the way it blends a lot of things there's one moment in particular that always stuck with me is when uh, uh it's with jenny agater in Luke Rogue, and they're by a, a Jenny Agutter's against a tree, and I don't remember if she was wearing like white tights or if she was like uh, uh, you know bare legged, but the whiteness of her skin or the tights had blended right into the tree just so seamlessly. I, I've always thought that was a brilliant shot, and uh, David Capelli, who is on his own, who is on his walkabout, is an Aboriginal, and he and part of the tradition is to go through this desert, and you know it's just a really just terrific experience watching this film, just brilliant imagery. I think Nicholas Rogue's direction just reminds me so much of some of the some of the stuff that he would do in this reminds me of, of Peter Weir's uh, some of his more experimental stuff as well. I, I say maybe an experimental avant-garde in terms of sequences and like picking up hanging rock or the last wave, just kind of uh, dancing with this kind of surreality and uh, just brilliant film. I think this is one that if you haven't already seen this, then this is a great time to do it. Um, I don't know if I'm gonna be upgrading this because I already have the criterion of this. I, like I said before, the Princess Bride, I'd have to be weary about um, whether or not this was an actual new restoration and whether or not it had any of the previous features but great film nonetheless can't recommend enough um, I don't normally talk about new new mainstream releases but I was happy to see that um the uh, film Air is getting a Blu-ray because this uh, this got a theatrical release and then it went to Amazon Prime and I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be on Amazon Prime. This is going to be stuck there and this is getting a Blu-ray. And I didn't mention that for that sake. I mean, this is, I thought it was a pretty good film, but for that reason of it not suspecting it getting a um, Blu-ray or a physical release at all, like, that's just really fantastic. Um, Ghoulies are coming to 4K from MVD. I... Uh, 
I was late to the party on this one. This is not a great film, man. I, I knew, I think I'm aware that, I, I don't know if I was aware or not, that the sequels, at least Ghoulies 2, is, is far more regarded because I'm watching this film and I just was not big on this film. This was, uh, you know, I like little monster movies, you know, but I think compared to something like Critters, I just, the Critters just blow, blows this out of the water, man. This It's not even a fair fight. Uh, but I know this is a cult film as well but Ghoulies 2 is also getting uh, not a 4k but it's getting a blu-ray also from MVD so I probably should have watched that as well but it is what it is um, from Shelf Factory The Pack from 1977 with Jodon Baker now this is a cool film man I love animal attacks films and I love the setup of this you know they're on this island where you have all these uh, these dogs who uh, you know got abandoned and they eventually you know they, they fight back and you know they're starving they're hungry and they, they are fighting off they're fighting against this family they're just some wild sequences of the dogs just you know I, I can't even imagine trying to film something like this you know a lot of the animal attacks films back in the day they were just you know I don't even know how they were able to handle that sort of stuff but you know very enjoyable film this is a you know I don't know if it's not exactly essential viewing for Animal Attacks uh, fans, but this is a very good film as well. I really like this one. Um, a Bronx Tales coming from Tribeca Film. Uh, this is also getting a 4K next month, so if you haven't seen this film and you're interested or you want the A release, uh, the 4K is happening. This is directed by Robert De Niro, starring Chaz Palminteri. And it's funny that I was talking about this film fairly recently with an acquaintance. I was talking about how I think the first half of this film is great. I mean, because um, I watched this for the 1993 um, episode that's coming out soon um, for the show. And the first half, all the stuff with uh, De Niro and his young son was, like, great, man. It's basically that his young son is interested in this uh, kind of local mobster guy played by Chaz Palminteri. He's like a dangerous kind of guy, but his son is fascinated by that lifestyle, fascinated by him. Anyways, he's in a situation where he's called to uh, testify. Uh, you know, the cop uh, lines up these guys in the street after a murder happened that his son had seen, and it basically, you know, ends up not ratting them out. And Chaz Palminteri kind of uh, lures this kid into this um, kind of lifestyle, and and De Niro, who's a bus worker. I'm sorry, he was a bus driver. I don't think anybody's ever called him a bus worker. He's a bus driver, you know? Uh, you know, if Paul Materi is trying to manipulate him, saying, like, no, the working man, you know, he, he's a, he's an idiot. You know, you want to you be one of us. And the first half, like I said, all that stuff was great. It was fantastic. Second half is where it starts to lose interest for me. They do a time jump, and he's an older kid. He's a young adult, 20-something. Uh, and that stuff I don't think works as strong. It, it sets up a lot that it doesn't really pay off. There's a romance that does not work for me in the slightest, man. When these characters got together, I'm like, I, they don't have any chemistry together. Both are good actors, man. They both do a good job. But um, they sh it, then it starts to do a little bit too much with the, you know, I understand what they're trying to go for, kind of the neighboring, you know, the, you have the Italian neighborhood and the predominantly black neighborhood and how they don't get along and how it's just needless violence against one another. Um all that stuff is fine and fair, but it just didn't work for me. I think the, the, it is worth watching for the first half alone. De Niro's direction is solid, even though this is primarily a um, a, a love a, a, a love letter from uh, Chas Palminteri. Uh, he, you know, he's done this on like uh, I think he did this on Broadway too or not, but it is an interesting film. I think it's worth watching, especially if you're a fan of mob films that aren't you know Scorsese or, or talking about later mob films, you know, from like the '90s and stuff. You know, this or like uh, you know I, a film I think it's better, like The Untouchables and the, you know films like that that I think are just uh, you know really interesting as well. I should also say that Ghoulies is also coming to a standard Blu-ray as well. So if you don't or don't want uh, or if you don't have or don't want a, a, a 4K edition, and there is that available. Uh, coming back over into the UK on September 
Got to scroll down here. On September 18th, Blood and Black release uh, from ARR Videos coming to 4K. This is Mario Bava. A lot of people consider it his strongest film. And probably, yeah, I would say this or maybe Black Sunday, I think, are, are back-to-back, you know, kind of uh, his my favorite of his work. And this is a film that I, I wasn't really crazy about the first time. I think, you know, I, I saw this much later, you know, than, you know, you, you, you try to go through the big kind of Italian horror films. This is one that I was very late to the party on. So the first time I watched it, I, I thought it was, I was, you know, I thought it was interesting. But then when I watched it again later on, I was able to get more into the film. I was able to appreciate it more. I kind of felt the same way about Black Sunday, too, where I think with Black Sunday, that opening sequence is so brilliant that I never thought the rest of the film could hold a candle to it. But then on subsequent viewings, I'm able to appreciate the, the rest of the film on its own. Um, and I don't know if this has... Actually, I don't even know if there are multiple cuts of this. I get I, I was talking about this recently with somebody. I get frustrated with the American Kino releases that they put the different versions on different releases instead of putting putting them together. Because Arrow UK had a box set of all this stuff a couple years ago that had all the versions of his films on them, and that was a, that was a brilliant box set that uh, is out of print now. Um, but I get really frustrated with with Kino doing that. I think that's really lousy of them to do. Um, Twin Dragons got delayed from eighty eight films. This is a Jackie Chan uh, uh, and Maggie Chung film. I'm not familiar with this one or the um, reputation on it. Uh, Universal's Noir number two is coming out, and I love these box sets that they do. I think Indicator are putting out the strongest box sets. Maybe I think I might even like their box sets more than Vinegar Syndrome's. Uh, I don't have their previous Universal Noir set, but I uh, had an acquaintance of mine who uh, owns a lot of them has spoken very highly of them. And of course, Brian Sauer, who always goes to bat for Indicator, I think they're probably they're just top. Might even be my favorite label going. I really don't know. I really don't like to choose favorites on that because different companies really distribute uh, different kinds of films. So it's ridiculous to say favorites. But ultimately, I've yet to be disappointed with any of their releases that I own. Uh, Valley Girls coming to Eureka Films. This currently has a Blu-ray in the States from Shout Select. This stars uh, Deborah Foreman and Nicolas Cage. And this was another one that it kind of took me a little bit wild, a little while to appreciate because Brian Sauer from Just the Discs and Pure Cinema Podcast. He is such a fan of this film. And uh, I remember the first time that I watched it, his film taste aligned so much with mine we i mean he has very rarely let me down with, with a film recommendation that i heard from him but i remember watching this for the first time and not being totally with it but then this is a film that i think really grew on me above being a cliche 80s film i think there's really solid character stuff and deborah foreman and nicholas cage have such great charisma i think this is one of my favorite cage performances because you know one of the sequences that i, I just really love in this film uh is when he's uh i'm not going to try to quote it verbatim because it's been a little else i've seen it but he's talking to her and she and He's just saying, like, you know, let's get out of here. And she's asking, like, you know, what do you want to do? Where are you going to go? He's like, I don't care, you know. Um, God, just, the, I think, you know, I, I've, I've, even before the kind of Cage renaissance, you know, with films like Mandy and stuff, I, I have always, always thought Cage was a brilliant actor who, you know, in the past 20 years just made some questionable film choices and, I, you know, has become kind of an internet meme. But I, I sincerely think that there, he has so much range that people were not giving him credit for that. Now that, you know, Mandy and, and those kind of films and stuff are now very popular again, people, people are reassessing his kind of filmography. But, I, you know, you look at just films like this or Shoot the Moon or Red Rock ah, Red Rock West I mean just the range of characters that he was playing was so interesting and Birdie which I still think is a criminally underrated film which has a blur from Indicator and has always been available on streaming but when people talk about his work I never hear that in conversation along with Shoot the Moon I almost never hear that or no, I'm sorry not Shoot the Moon um Racing with the Moon. Shoot the Moon's also a great film, but that's a darker film. Racing with the Moon, I'm sorry. That's the one I'm talking about. But yeah, Valley Girl, good stuff. Um, coming from Eureka. So, I mean, Eureka is just one of the best labels going. You have yet to be disappointed. Uh, Scream and Scream Again is coming from 
Radiance Films. Uh, interesting film. It's not one of my favorites. Um, you know, this is from 1970. Uh, this has Peter, uh, 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 Vincent Price in it, and it's all right. It's 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 not uh, great from anything like that. I think the poster is much better than the film itself, but you know that's what it is. Um, it looks like the uh, 4Ks of <clears throat> Night of the Hunted and Rape of the Vampire uh, got delayed. This was come out last month, so there are there are those. Um, the Long Farewell from Vintage Classics. This was a Russian film from 1971 that, you know, I watched it and I liked it, but then it really started to grow on me. It really started to kind of seem to be a pattern this episode. And I really like this film. This is a great Russian film, you know, about this kind of troubled relationship between a mother and her son. You know, they're doing different things, but they still ultimately love each other, but they're kind of having, they're at like this weird kind of point with one another where, you know, he wants to, you know, the son is being distant from the mother, but then he, he'll still like warm up to her. He wants to go with his father. And, uh, you know, a recent film that I watched that I think would be an interesting double feature at this albeit maybe not so much because of the length on the other film is uh, the Xavier Dolan film Mommy from 2014 and I say the length of that because that is about two and a half hours and one of my problems with that film was the length I, I thought it was unnecessarily long when it would have had a bigger impact ending much earlier but I th- but it is a very good film as well I'm definitely not throwing shade to that but you know watching this film and that film so close to one another I, was, I really was just reminded of the two and I thought wow that, that would be actually a really cool double feature this kind of this, these troubled relationships between um, a mother and her son but ultimately still relying on one another to make themselves a better person is just so fascinating fascinating. Um, Ringu is coming to 4K from Arrow Video in the UK. Uh, I have the Arrow box set with uh, the first, uh, is it two? Two or three? I know there's two different versions of one of them. God, I could not remember, man. It's been a while since I've seen it. I remember liking the first Ring uh, and not being crazy about the sequels. Um, I think the first one has a general creepiness to it. Um, I, I really kind of love films with, you know, movies that have, like, mysterious, like, videotapes or, like, you know, they come across, like, an object or, like, like a, like a piece of media. I'm thinking, like, Evil Dead Trap or, like, Videodrome. These kind of, like, these, like, pirated kind of, like, you know, networks that have, like, these these uh, crimes on them. I, I love all that stuff, man. Uh, but this is a good film for sure. Uh, let's see here. Alright, that is it on that day. So jumping back into America. On September 19th, we got some heavy hitters this day, man. You ready? You better hold on. Uh, from the late, great William Friedkin, finally on 4K, but more importantly, finally the theatrical cut is The Exorcist from 1973. And I say finally the theatrical cut because Whenever this film is shown theatrically, it's always the director's cut. The cut that I, I'm I'm not a fan of the director's cut. What they added, I thought was very unnecessary. The stupid, uh, you know, uh, putting in the faces, I thought was unnecessary. Um, now the theatrical cut has been on Blu-ray before. I don't know if that Blu-ray is still out of print. But I remember the last time that I checked, it was expensive. Uh, but this is coming to 4K. I, I'm also not crazy about the fact they changed the artwork. Uh, you know, the po- the poster is brilliant, man. You really can't get any better than that when it comes to representing the film. It, it says so much, yet so little about what lies beneath the film you're about to watch. But this cover, you know, it's, it's not bad, but I think it's a bit generic, especially for Warner uh, uh, Warner Brothers, who have been doing these really great uh, artworks for their new uh, 4Ks. But... I mean, these are these are nitpicky kind of points. I mean, this is just a great announcement to have, and unfortunately, you know, it, it comes at a loss with uh, William Friedkin. I talked about him at length on a previous episode, talking about you know this film and Sorcerer and *To Live and Die in L.A.*. I think he's just he was just one of the greatest filmmakers just ever, and and it's just you know every time. Uh, uh, People talk about like, the best horror films. The Exorcist is one that I think has not been dated at all. It, you know, it's been memed to death, it's been spoofed to death, it's been parodied, all this and that. But I think it is still a very effective and very unnerving film. And uh, 
Yeah, and especially where you got the you got that new Exorcist coming out in October, which I have no interest in whatsoever. But um, it will get people back into the uh, you know bring it back into the public conscience again. Uh, from Criterion, uh, we have from 1962, Orson Welles is the trial. Joseph K. Joseph K. You're under arrest. Who accuses me? What's the charge? Mr. K. You seriously think that we don't know who you are? Who are these people? The accused. How do you know you're arrested? They woke me up and told me. Are you sure you were away? This could be a trap. Can there be any doubt that behind my arrest, a vast organization is at work? There isn't a hope of getting out of their clutches. Can't all be guilty. You'll have to kill me! <laughs> to be in chains is sometimes safer than to be free. funny thing about this film is I bought the Studio Canal 4K and then about two months later this got announced so I'll have to see whether or not those will be worth upgrading or not. That Studio Canal 4K looked pretty good but I'm curious how Criterion's will look and this is a great film as well. If anything I feel like when it comes to Orson Welles' directorial efforts um, I haven't seen all of his work but from what I've seen this feels like the closest kind of uh, uh, next step from Citizen Kane in terms of camera work, camera placement, um, uh, shot composition, what he's doing with a lot of the angles in this. Because with Citizen Kane in this film, they have so many particular camera, unusual kind of camera choices, you know. And I always, I always remember the scene. I always is stuck out in mean, Citizen Kane, like you know, the, the 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 framing of the mirror that goes back. I mean, it's just brilliant. And what he was doing, you know, in the 40s at that, and then in the 60s, early 60s, in this, what he's choosing to do is so fantastic, man. This is a film that's based off a story. Uh, or I don't know if it's a book or if it's a story or not from uh, Franz Kafka and um, in terms of comparison to films I think this would be an interesting double feature something like L.A. and Renee's uh, last year at Marion Bad and I think there was one sequence in this in particular that really kind of reminded me of that it's with Anthony Perkins' character is going through this crowd of people uh, who aren't saying anything they're just standing there and that reminds me early on of the sequences of last year at Marion Bad and you have kind of a montage of people just kind of going around and, and not moving it's just, it's just brilliant but this is a film with Anthony Perkins basically he, gets, he wakes up one day and he he is uh, he, he's uh, uh, being you know, they say he committed this crime, but he doesn't even know what he did. He doesn't know what the crime is. They're being very vague about it. And uh, as the film goes on, you know, it's one thing. I'm watching the film, and at some point, I start to lose traction with the story, which I actually had to look up after the fact because I thought I was like a dummy. I was like, okay, did I just not? Did I just miss something, or what's going on with this film? But the, but you know, a lot of people have uh, talked about the story in this film not being as important so much as the visual nature of it, the way that he takes just what could be generic and uninteresting dialogue sequences, but the camera work that he does with it, uh, you know, kind of constantly moving constantly doing something interesting just the shot composition and the beautiful black and white there are just beautiful frames in this film like there's you know, one frame in particular where you have like you know Anthony Perkins half his half his face uh, is is shown and the other half is in pure darkness and he's talking to Orson Welles at one point and he's standing in front of a projector just beautiful sequences in this film and it has a fantastic ending um, this is one of Orson Welles' strongest films uh, just sit back just take it all in a perfect film to watch in the dark get off your cell phone man and you're going to be in for a really, really excellent time. Uh, the Last Dragon coming to 4K from Sony Pictures. Now, it's funny. I actually meant to see this on 35mm last year, but ultimately, because I was nearby, I don't know why that was showing it, but the time just didn't line up, and ultimately I just didn't get to go see it. But I've heard this is something of a cult classic. Um, the, um, 
Toxic Avenger collection coming to 4K from Troma. And initially, I was a little concerned about this release because I've I've stated before, maybe not on the show, but at least for acquaintances that I have, uh, Troma's Blu-rays are not. They're not great, man. You know, anytime that Vinegar Syndrome or Severin take their films, they do them much better. Um, and but I, I was happy to hear that because I, I was talking to an acquaintance and I kind of aired some of my grievances with this collection. I'm like, ah, this is, uh, you know, Troma doing 4K. I don't know about that, but they did say at least the acquaintance told me that Vinegar Syndrome were overseeing the restoration on this. That makes me a little bit more interested in this. And the funny thing about this collection is that I've seen the Tosca Avenger so many times, at least, you know, seven or eight, nine times. I've never seen any of the sequels. For no, I've never avoided them. I just, uh, I never, I don't know, I, they never really jumped on them, which is funny because I've seen uh, almost all the class of Nukem Highs except for Return of Nukem High Part 2. Um, I'm trying to think of what else they've done that has like a lot of sequels to it. Uh, I, mean, I don't know, I, I really couldn't tell you. I'm not very knowledgeable on... Uh, the big kind of trauma properties. But yeah, I mean, the first one I think is a great film. Like, it's totally my kind of really ridiculous, silly humor. This kid, Melvin, who's a dork working on like, this YMCA. And, uh, you know, the, the the jocks there, they're so over the top. They just hate him for no real reason because he kind of gets in the way sometimes. And they play a prank on him that leads to him jumping into a, a vat of toxic waste and becomes a superhero and has this ridiculous ADR where he just sounds... I mean, it, it's just ridiculous, man. This is this is a film that I just... I, I, it's always been one of my favorites. Um, a funny story for you is that... Uh, so a while ago i think it was a little after when when the when the covid kind of uh, precautions were starting to die down you know i i do my best to support like local cinemas and stuff and there's one of those little a little bit away and they were talking about showing it at midnight uh and uh, so i was like oh that's gonna be great you know i'll go see this at midnight why not you know so i go to see it and uh for one there was barely anyone there there were maybe four people tops uh and it, you know that the manager was talking to me and he was saying like yeah the guy requested this film and said we should do it. it's not even here tonight and uh so man i'm sitting in this theater i'm the only one laughing man no one else is laughing i, I mean maybe like a slight chuckle here and there but i'm laughing i'm not like being obnoxious or anything like that. i'm just laughing at the jokes you know this is a ridiculous movie but yeah it was uh, it was a very uh it was a strange time man and the film wasn't loud enough so i mean you just heard me laughing and you heard these just yeah i don't know man it's but yeah it's it's, it's great stuff man this is it's just such a a this is a total comfort film man i love this film i have seen it so many times but i think you know horror fans, cult fans, fans of independent cinema. I think everybody's kind of seen this, but, um, you know, I could see myself definitely, uh, uh, I'll be in a situation where I'll be, I'll be, uh, uh, at a convention in the near future. So perhaps if, uh, you know, this is reasonably priced, I could definitely see myself picking this up. A recent film from a couple years ago, which got a lot of talk. This was an Amazon original a film. I really like a lot. Uh, from 2016, this, this is the lost city of Z. Uh, coming to 4k from shop factory. And what's interesting about this film is that I was, so recently I talked about, uh, Uncle Boonmi, who can recall his past lives, and I talked about a little bit in that episode, uh, Embrace the Serpent. And what's interesting in comparison to this film, to that, to those films, I mean, on top of those being relatively smaller films, I mean, this has a, uh, this has a big, you know, a big mainstream kind of cast. You have uh, uh, Charlie Hunnam, who was on, on was it, uh, Sons of Anarchy. You have like Robert Pattinson, um, Tom Holland. You know, Spider Man shows up in the third act of this film. And I remember listening to somebody talk about this film, and they said that that, uh, they couldn't get on board with this film entirely because of, you know, compared to older films, you know, when they would actually go in the jungle and they would have these kind of expeditions, you know, films, you know, I mean, you know, as far back as something like, uh, I don't know, like the African Queen or something uh, uh, like, you know, Cannibal Holocaust, you know, they're actually going into these jungles. And filming these, you know, they had a problem that they couldn't really buy it. I don't totally agree with that, but I see where they're coming from. But in comparison to Uncle Boomy and Embrace the Serpent, I think they all kind of blend together fairly well. This is in the early days when they were, uh, uh, I forgot when this actually takes place. I think in the 1920s, they're trying to find this 
this uh, city in the Amazon where South America is now. And, you know, uh, Charlie Hunnam is kind of like, you know, he, he, he goes in there a couple of times and he's the more, you know, it, it goes into his character how the more time that he spends out there, you know, he's spending this time away from his family because it's this kind of obsession to go out there and find these. And, you know, uh, the hell that it goes through back in the 1920s, basically, you know, I, you know, they have, you know, maps and stuff, but really are kind of going in blind to this sort of stuff. And I, I, the character stuff in this film totally worked for me. And I think the third act, especially the ending, I think is really exceptional. Um, I, this was about two and a half hours, but I, man, I, I really, really like this film. And I'll, I mean, I'm definitely going to be grabbing this 4k at some point when it's on sale. Uh, you know, um, let's see what else here. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through. I try not to have too much dead air. So I can actually talk about some of these films, but uh, Ringu is also coming to 4K as well in the United States. I want to mention that as well. It has two different editions, so um, there is that. Um, okay, so I guess we'll jump back into uh, the UK on this. Uh, one of the last days. How many more we got? I got on the 18th, already did. Uh, 25th, and that'll be it. Okay, so on the last Monday in the UK... The Psycho Collection, coming to 4K uh, from Arrow Video. The first four films, uh, one directed by Alfred Hitchcock, two and three directed by... Uh, I'm sorry, two directed by Tom Holland, three directed by... Different Tom Holland. Uh, three directed by Anthony Perkins, and four, I think, directed by Anthony Perkins as well. And I actually watched all these fairly... In the past year or so... Well, I watched two, three, and four, because I've only ever seen the first one. The first one's a brilliant film. You know, it's one of Hitchcock's best. But the two, three, and four, I'd never seen. Two, I always heard regarded in good lights. Three, not as much. And four, not as much. Um, and I was surprised at how much I actually liked. Not Maybe not, not, not surprised, but two, three, and four, I don't think any of them were great by any means. You know, I... I I, I really don't think it, it, you can even put them in the same league as the first, but I think if you watch them on their own, they're, they're actually fine films. Uh, Psycho 4 was a TV movie, I believe, um, was for Showtime or something like that. I, I thought they were actually all pretty good, you know. I don't I, people people love 2, and that's fine. I don't think it's like great or anything like that, but I, I think that Anthony Perkins gives really solid performances in, in 2, 3, and 4, and not just the uh, standard uh, way that he portrays uh, Norman in the first one, but more so about his kind of evolution. I really like the idea of him coming back to society in Psycho 2 and not wanting to be that person that he was, you know, still battling, battling this illness and this trauma that he goes through. Um, but cool stuff, nonetheless, you know, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Um, now, this is a big one that, uh, you know, it's just, this will definitely be picked up, man. I'm just really happy this is getting a release. Uh, just, just a masterpiece of a film from 1973 is The Wicker Man. I have come here from the mainland to investigate the disappearance of a young girl, Rowan Morrison. That's her name. You know her? No, I've never seen her before. You suspect foul play? I suspect murder. We don't commit murder up here. We're a deeply religious people. Where is Rowan Morrison? <laughs> I want to say up front, I don't actually know if this has all the versions on this Blu-ray, or on this 4K, I should say. I, I would imagine that this has, because this is the poster that used the final cut, but I don't know if it includes the director's cut and the theatrical cut, so I have to keep an eye on that. But the thing with the final cut to the director's cut is that the final cut doesn't actually add any footage. It just rearranges some things, to my knowledge, whereas the director's cut actually adds quite a bit more back in, uh, including what... Now, I might be wrong about this, so please don't quote me, but I believe it has the um, dancing sequence in the middle of the film. Uh, uh, 
with um uh how's her name with uh i mean it's, it's to to the to willow song one of the best sequences in the film. I think this is a film that it still works so unbelievably well. I mean, this is a very popular film. It had a, it had a remake with Nicolas Cage in 2006, I think. Um, but still, you know, I mean, you know the film is called The Wicker Man. You know, it's all over the poster and all that. But when it comes to the third act, when it actually gets to a, a really just unnerving third act, I think it still works so well. Uh, Edward Woodward is a uh, cop. He's a very uh, religious cop. He goes to this island looking for this missing girl, and quickly he realizes that there's something else going on here, something strange. Everybody is very mannered, but also kind of condescending. Christopher Lee is there. He kind of runs a lot of the place, and he's slowly kind of figuring out what's going on. There's something more sinister about it. I mean, a film like this, it becomes like so much of the pop culture it's really hard to kind of surprise people because even if you haven't seen the film you probably already know what's going on and stuff but even still uh this is just a brilliant film i was listening to the commentary on this with uh christopher lee edward woodward and the director uh robin hardy and chris and they talk about you know uh, a lot of the differences in the versions uh, or they, they you know kind of go back and forth on what was in what version uh christopher lee is has gone to bat in this film he said this is his favorite film that he worked on but you know the negative of this film is gone. That which is the problem is that uh, when you watch this film, there are noticeable color timing differences at at times. I you know I watched the final cut. I don't know if that was in the director's cut or not. If they did the color timing differently, um, or if it is a matter of elements that they couldn't do it, I really couldn't tell you. But but either way, this will definitely picked up. This is a brilliant film, uh, and just has so much in it that uh, it's, it just holds up so well. Brilliant stuff. Also on this day, coming from Eureka on 4K, is Touch of Evil, Orson Welles, uh, speaking of which from the trial earlier, earlier uh, wrote, direct, and acted in this film with uh, Charlton Heston and uh, Vivian Lee. I'm sorry, Janet Lee. My bad. And uh, <coughs> this is also a, a really solid film as well. I think this is pretty well known in terms of uh, great 50s films and as well as in uh, Welles' echelon of quality stuff. Great performances from... Uh, Heston and Lee as well. Uh, BFI is finally getting that Target Blu-ray that got announced a while ago before the Criterion. This got announced with the appointment. Also, actually, weird, weirdly enough, speaking of Edward Woodward uh, from The Wicker Man, uh, The Appointment, by the way, if you haven't seen that film, that's a, that's a really terrific film uh, as well. Also, uh, blu from the BFI. Memento is coming from 101 Films as well. as seems to be a lot of patterns in this episode. Christopher Nolan's uh, uh, film from 2000, one of his best films. Uh, I think this film is, is just a razor-tight script. You have Guy Pierce in the film who has uh, short-term memory loss. He can only remember things from X amount of time and then he loses it again. So his body is tattooed and he's got to figure out what's going on. You know, you know, I don't want to give too much away of it. It's also a film that I think, you know, rewatching it kind of adds to a lot of the fun of it. The film was played in reverse. So the last scene goes first and vice versa. Um, but I do remember on the special edition DVD, there was an Easter egg to watch this film linearly uh, in a linear fashion, I should say. Uh, so I wonder if any of the other previous editions have this. But this has just a standard Blu-ray, not a 4K, but I can imagine that coming soon as well from artificial eye in 4k is one of Lars von Trier's best films from 1996 uh, is breaking the waves this 
sick? You know we do not favor matrimony with outsiders. Can you even tell us what matrimony is? It's when two people are joined in God. We worship thee as the author of every good and perfect gift. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to say this, but I don't trust you. got the strength. She's stronger than you and me. You don't understand, do you? Did you realize that I will have to go back soon? You've got to go on living when he isn't here. I mean, he's not dead. You're not dead. I believe now, I don't know if this is true or not, but to my knowledge, I think this is when he started to use a lot of these uh, a lot of the digital kind of camera work, or a lot of digital cameras that he, he would be known for later on, where he kind of has a style. I haven't seen uh, Epidemic, and I haven't seen... Actually, I'm sorry, Europa was actually after this. So actually, this, this had to have been the first, because Europa is a very gorgeous-looking film, but I think that was shot on film. Because if, if you compare how that looks, how this looks, it's very obvious. And then in 1998, he would do The Idiots, and then uh, Dance with the Dark, Dogville, and so on. So you understand his digital kind of handheld style, doing zooms when he feels like it. Uh, but Breaking the Waves is one of his best films. This is a great uh, drama with Emily Watson, Stellan Skarsgård. Emily Watson... Uh, she is. She starts a former relationship with Stellan Skarsgård, but she has definitely some some mental issues going on there. And and when you think of Lawrence Montreal, this isn't really as nihilistic as some of his other work. When I had watched this film, I had been familiar with. I think I'd seen Dancer in the Dark first, and uh, his newer uh, stuff since. I'd seen like Antichrist, and um, I don't know if I'd. I don't know if um. Nymphomaniac was out yet when I saw this originally, but Melancholy as well. You know, very nihilistic films, but this film never really is that. It's actually very romantic uh, in a lot of ways, uh, but it is also dark as well. Udo Kier, of course, shows up in a uh, in a in a pretty wild role. Uh, but this is a great film, man. This is one of Von Schur's best. Um, I would love to see this get a 4K in the stage. This currently has a Blu-ray from Criterion, but um, if you're unfamiliar with Von Schur's work, this is not a bad starting point at all. And actually, speaking of Longshore, uh, the Curazon collection is coming as well. And this has um, almost all of his big films, to my knowledge. Uh, I'm trying to think, because it doesn't have everything. Um, or maybe it does, actually. I really don't know. I, I don't... Actually, I'm, as I'm reading it, it might actually have everything that he's directed. Uh, the Orbit Gardener, Element of Crime... Uh, Epidemic, uh, Medea, and Europa, which I was earlier working on talking about Breaking the Waves. The Idiot Switch doesn't have a Blu-ray at, at all. It's actually been uh, on various DVDs and stuff. And actually, if you're in the States and you have Mubi, it's on there right now, uncut. Um, and I say uncut because uh, some editions, like the one that I have, uh, blurs out the genitalia. But Dogville has not had a Blu-ray. Uh, the Five Obstructions, I don't think it's had a Blu-ray as well. That's also on Mubi. Uh, also a very good film. Uh, Mandalay does not have a Blu-ray. The Boss of It All does not have a Blu-ray. Antichrist, uh, Melancholia, Informaniac, and The House Like Jack Bev all have Blu-rays. So, yeah, man, this is actually a solid collection of titles right here, man. You know, I, they, they just put out that uh, uh, Robert Austin collection. So, I, I really don't know what the packaging is like on these. I don't know how the, how, what they're sourcing from, but but very cool stuff nonetheless. I mean, that's, this is so cool out there. They're putting this out. Voluntary has always been an underappreciated filmmaker, an undervalued filmmaker who has done consistently, consistently great work, man. He's just a brilliant filmmaker. One of the best of all time, in my opinion. Um, that might be it for that day. I'm, trying, I'm looking here. Yeah, that's it for that day. So we're going to go back into the U.S. for the last uh, Tuesday here. 
On September 26th, we have... Let me scroll up here and do apologize for that. Quite a bit of titles, actually, on this day. Uh, so, on September 26th, here we go. All right. Uh, the Vinegar Syndrome titles are coming to standard releases. A Blade in Dark 4K, uh, Amazon Jail and Amazon Jail 2. Uh, uh, what else here? I'm allowed to list them all off. But yeah, I, I have that Blade in the Dark 4K I got. It's Amazon Jail and 1 and 2 in the mail yard today, but I have not watched them. Uh, one of the, uh, Here it is from Shop Select. Uh, another 4K they're doing. They don't have a whole lot of 4Ks, but uh, the ones that I have seen have been great. That Deer Hunter 4K looks brilliant. But uh, speaking of great uh, films from 1994 is Oliver Stone's Natural Born Killers. Mickey and Mallory. Feared by thousands. Watched by millions. We're fighting. Can't stop fighting. Nobody can. It's kind of twilight zone or something. Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr., and Tommy Lee Jones. What do you have to say to your fans? You ain't seen nothing yet. This is a great, uh, great film. Partially written by Quentin Tarantino, but the script uh, is not even really his own. He's he's not a fan of the finished film, but this is one of Oliver Stone's best films. It might actually be my favorite. Well, I don't think I like this one in Platoon, but actually, maybe I'll think about that. I'm trying to think of his other work. It doesn't matter anyways. But great film uh, with Woody Harrelson, Julia Lewis, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Mickey and Mallory, played by... Uh, Woody Harrelson and Julia Lewis are going, you know, on this cross-country sort of trip, but they're serial killers being praised by the media, and people love them. Uh, early on, uh, Ronnie Dangerfield plays a, a uh, dramatic role as Juliet Lewis's abusive father, and after they kill him, they start to be, they become, like, media celebrities, and says a lot about, kind of, the media's reaction to a lot, to, you know, idolizing a lot of these, you know, pieces of garbage. You know, look at, like, you know, you know Manson, or, or Ted Bundy, or Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, the media just sensationalizes all these, all they just these losers, man. It's just, and this is a film that's commenting on this. And actually, notoriously as well as that, Coca-Cola stopped allowing uh, their um, uh, adver- their product, their advertising in films unless they approved it because Oliver Stone and them asked if they could use uh, a commercial theirs and they said yes without knowing what the context was. And the context is in this film was not very flattering, kind of the, the junk food kind of television, how it's kind of like, you know, brainwashing and all that. Uh, now, the 4K of this has a director's cut and the theatrical cut is on Blu-ray. I don't know if I've actually seen the director's cut. I, only, I may have only seen the theatrical cut, but I have the director's cut on DVD. Um, but either way, definitely, definitely be picked up. Brilliant film. Uh, as well, an upgraded from Makino Lorber, Thunderbolt, and Lightfoot, directed by Michael Cimino uh, on 4K with Clint Eastwood and Jeff Bridges. Uh, I mean, really more of a Clint Eastwood, uh, I don't want to say directed film, but I think Clint Eastwood uh, shows Michael Cimino for the role. Um, I'm trying to remember if this was before or after Silent Running that Cimino helped write. Uh, I don't remember. It talks about that a bit in the Camino book, but uh, a very good film as well, actually. The, in the book, they kind of put the film down a little bit, but I think it's actually one of Eastwood and Bridge's best. Uh, Eastwood's not playing typical uh, uh, Eastwood. He's, he's, he's playing a very different kind of role, and I think it's a uh, really great just film, man, overall. Um, the Train coming from 4K as well from Kino Lorber, John Frankenheimer with uh, Burt Lancaster. Brilliant film as well. Uh, great action film from 64. Uh, my Bloody Valentine getting a 4K from Shout Factory. This has had a Blu-ray from them as well. Uh, 
And this is not one of my favorite slashes, man. I got to tell you, is that this is one that's always been kind of put on a pedestal. And I've seen it a couple times. It's never been one of my favorites, but this is of a big fan base. And I understand that this is kind of considered. I mean, the the, the look of the uh, the the, the pickaxe uh, wielding miner, you know, that that looks great. The coal miner, um, but this film just never really did it for me. But I mean, who knows? I could, you know, whatever. Uh, from Criterion, we have La Bamba with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, and I thought this was an interesting film for them to choose because La Bamba is a good film, man. But it was an interesting film of theirs to choose for this because it doesn't seem like I've never really heard this regarded as a classic or anything like that but it was interesting about this is that the first time that I saw it man I uh I'm really not too familiar with a lot of like music I don't really know a whole lot about music history and I mean I'm obviously familiar with music but music history and stuff I'm not as familiar with but I uh, was watching this film and I get to the end because it's about Richie Valens and uh you know his life and his relationship with his brother which I think is some of the strongest stuff in the film but when it gets to the end he's getting on a plane and the plane takes off. I'm watching the film. I'm like, all right. And then it puts up. Richie Valens and, you know, Buddy Holly and them died in the plane crash. I didn't even know about I didn't know he was on that plane. So I was like, oh, all right. I guess that's the end of the film. It's wild. But it's a good film, though. Also from Criterion, on this day, uh, on 4K, is a contemporary film. A film I like quite a bit. Uh, the documentary Moon Age Daydream from last year. And I got to tell you. I'm not super familiar with David Bowie's music. I'm actually more familiar with him as an actor. Speaking of uh, Nicholas Rogue from earlier in The Man Who Fell to Earth, which I think is a really solid film. Um, but was it Innocent Blood that he's in or The Hunger? I always mix up those two. Somebody will correct me on that. One of those two films that he's in with Catherine Deneuve. But I, you know, Zoolander and The Priest and The Prestige and stuff. I know him much more as an actor than I do a musician. Um, so even me watching this film... I still was able to get a lot out of it. This is a film that uses all archival footage. There's no... It's all narrated by Bowie since past and past a couple years ago. And what the film does so well is that it really creates kind of a... Like a uh, you know, he has this character as Ziggy Stardust, like an alien, I think. And this does create an otherworldly kind of feeling to a lot of the footage. It, it feels like not just Ziggy Stardust, but David Bowie is like, a, is like from another planet, man. The way that they... they do the, the, the color patterns on a lot of sequences, the way they show certain footage. It's all so engaging, man. This is a brilliant kind of film to watch in the dark and uh, just, you know, turn your phone off and all that. But uh, I will say, I don't know what was going on with this cover art, man. This is, I'm not trying to put anybody down. I understand that, you know, graphic artists uh, do a lot of great work and stuff, but boy, oh boy, this is not a, this is a, this is not a good cover art, man. This is really, really rough. But uh, it's what it is, man. It's, it's whatever. Um, the Doom Generation, getting a Blu-ray from Strand releasing. This is from 1995. This is the Greg Araki film. And Greg Araki is an interesting filmmaker as well. I, I The only film of his I've seen that I love is probably Mysterious Skin. That's a terrific film. But I end up liking most of his films to an extent. And this film kind of falls into that as well. This is a... I, I mean, it's... I guess kind of post-apocalyptic, if you will, but more just kind of about these uh, these three teenagers, uh, you know, Rose McGowan and what the other two actors here, and they're they're going on a they're basically you know kind of like uh, with natural born killers they're they're on the run, uh, you know. I'm sorry, James Duvall as well, and the third actor was Jonathan Sage. They're on a, they're on a road trip through America, and it has a sort of style in a way similar to. Uh, Repo Man, where, you know, remember Repo Man, and they, you know, you go to the store, and they have, like, you know, the cans of beer, just says beer, and it's a very, like, kind of, like, labeled, like, like a certain way, and this film's kind of a similar way, like, you know, they go to the grocery, they go to, like, a, like a, like a 7-Eleven kind of place, and, uh, you know, the, it rings up at 666, they go to a fast food place, order a bunch of food, or it rings up 666, it's a world in and of, in and of itself, and it, it was an interesting film that I think would 
it's probably better if you maybe grew up with this film because I liked it. I understand why it's a cult film, but I, I wasn't totally on board with this. Kind of in the way that some of Iraqi's work doesn't totally work for me, but he has a style of his own that I think uh, is really unique to him. This feels like a uh, a young filmmaker and an exciting filmmaker, and I think this is a good film in that regard and worth watching. But this also is available on the Criterion Channel in a a good looking uh, um, uh, restoration, which is how I watched it. Uh, from Kino Lorber, we're getting Death Wish Four and Death Wish uh, Death Wish Four: The Crackdown and Death Wish Five: The Face of Death. And Death Wish 4, I think, is actually a solid follow-up to Death Wish 3. Death Wish 3 is one of my favorite films. I think that's just so much fun. Um, 4 is, I mean, 4 and 5 are more of the same, but I think both, especially 4, I think both do them well. 5 is is what is a later era bronze film. This is from 94, and it's, it may have been a, I don't know if this was a TV movie or not. Don't quote me on that, but but I think Death Wish Five is the most forgotten about in all the films. But I do like it. I actually don't think it's really as bad as maybe it's put out to be. Uh, but Death Wish Four is is solid. I actually think it's a very good film, uh, and it has a really really fun uh, uh, ending. I'll leave it at that. Um, I talked about last month that the um, 4K of Jean-Luc Godard's Contempt is coming to well, like I said 4K overseas, and it's also getting a 4K here as well under its original title Eleven. Uh, the Mepris, or the Mepri, I should say, from Lionsgate Film. So that'll be picked up definitely at some point. Um, oh, also, I want to mention Sony Pictures. Nil by Mouth, directed by Gary Oldman, is coming from 1997. I've talked about this film before uh, on the show and when this got a Blu-ray from the BFI, but this is a great film, man. I, I'm a big fan of this film. And like I said before, it's Sony Pictures Classics. I'm really happy they're putting out a lot of their uh, a lot of their titles that they, may, that they don't, probably won't sell as well but are still putting out Blu-rays. Now, I was disappointed to hear that when Brian Starr was talking about American Pop that there was no features on it. It just went right to the movie, and that is very disappointing, but I think, you know, the film is more accessible now. It's easier to obtain, so it's, it's, you got to give and take some. Um, I would recommend probably buying the BFI release over this because I think the BFI's Blu-rays are, are fantastic, but, I mean, this is available in the States if you want to get it. The Severing Films um, Blu-rays from their uh, uh, um, House of Psychotic Women box set are getting standard releases as well. Uh, Footprints, Identikit, and... Well, either way, those are getting standard releases as well, so if you don't want to buy the box set, there's that. Uh, the Abomination, which I talked about recently, wasn't even aware I was getting a Blu-ray, but here it is from 1986, coming from Visual Vengeance. Uh, wild, strange film with this giant creature. It feels surreal at times. Uh, yeah, it's a wild film. And also directed follow-up, Replicator from 1988. Uh, Brett McCormick is coming from Visual Vengeance as well, which I've heard is not as good, but is uh, enjoyable in its own right. And it looks like that is it for the September Blu-ray and 4Ks. I noticed that I'm in at almost an hour, so that's why I try to rush through a little bit at the end of this and try not to talk for too long. But plenty of great titles this month. I mean, you know, the Wicker Man 4K, the Trial 4K. I mean, you're just there's just so much great stuff here, man, that you got to get on if you haven't already seen some of these films. But yeah, thank you guys for listening, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, all the best.